and welcome to Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse. I'm Sophie Hope and I'm joined today by Andrew Demetrius, a curator working at the School of Art History at the University of St Andrews in Scotland, where he's also doing a PhD on a project currently titled The Town Art of Glenrothes and David Harding. Uh, so I met Andrew at a conference at Tate Modern earlier this year in February time. Uh, about public art and we got talking afterwards. His research into the history of new towns in Scotland and in particular David Harding's work really resonated with me and I thought it'd be great to get Andrew on the Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse show to find out more. It's a good excuse for us to um, to have that conversation as well. And um, some, the particular kind of interest I have is because uh, uh, I came across David Harding's work and Ben Rothis when I was working as an independent curator with Sarah Carrington after we'd uh, graduated from our MEs in London. Uh, and Sarah and I were doing a lot of projects around um, sort of art and regeneration and David Harding's work. I can't remember who put us onto it now, but it, it became known to us, I suppose, at that stage definitely didn't unfortunately come up during our uh, our studies but um i also there's a particular publication which andrew maybe um i'm, I'm it's pretty much the, uh, the only sort of um written not perhaps not the only but one of the one of the main things i i found written by david harding about his experience and that was the 1997 publication decadent public art yes. contentious term and contested practice uh, so I, ha I got hold of that publication years ago, and I've, that's always sort of, although it's not on my shelf now because it's at work and I can't get to work, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a useful publication to delve in and out of. Um, and I also was referring back to, before in preparation for this, um, this episode, I looked back at my PhD and was referencing Hart David Harding in that from that publication, that decadent publication. And um, so that's maybe something we can draw on as well if, 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 um, if it comes to it in the conversation. So Andrew, welcome and thank you so much for, for joining me in this warehouse. Uh, so <laughs> I've got a set of questions which we've, we've um, prepared, but um, maybe just to begin with, if you could say a bit about your particular research project and why you're doing it. Why are you so fascinated with this? Well, thank you very much for having me to begin with. Um, yes, Glenroth is. Uh, I'm, I'm not in it for the glamour. Um, it's it's uh, it's a new town in in Fife. It's the uh, the nearest, I suppose, little bit of um, uh, modernism to uh, where I'm based in St Andrews, uh, which is where uh, an older history kind of dominates, as it does in in much of Scotland. Um, and unless you you live or work or have social connections. Um, there's there's little reason to, to visit the, t the town. Um, there's uh, an efficient road network um, that either uh, directs you around the circulatory system or into the centre of town. Um, if you're going to the old shopping centre or the or the, the out of town um, sort of uh, warehouse stores uh, and industrial estates. Um, but uh, I I discovered that there was um, another world hidden away there. Um, you see glimpses of it when you're passing on the ring roads and roundabouts. You'll see artworks and sculptures there. Um, but uh, there is uh, a whole uh, other section that's uh, hidden away in, out, of, out of sight of visitors in the residential districts. Um, and uh, I, I did a series of walks around the town um, getting to know it and started delving into um, research to try and find out a little bit more about it um, and found this sort of uh, I guess piecemeal history um, notes by Harding himself uh, as you mentioned there's the de decadence uh, essay but um, he has his own website and he's pulled together uh, a number of articles that have he's written or have been written about him over the years um, but uh, there was a sense that he he wanted to um, record his thoughts, set the record straight, um, but I felt that there was definitely uh, a gap in the market for uh, an academic to look at this in a little bit more detail. Um, and uh, I suppose once I'd decided that there was enough material there for a PhD projects, um, I 
I sort of took a slightly topsy-turvy approach in that I immediately started work on an exhibition in the local shopping centre. Uh, and one might think, in a way, you do the exhibition after you've done the PhD research. But with this one, there was immediately uh, some archival material that was available um, via the artist and via uh, the Glenrothes Development Corporation archive, which is now held by Fife Council. Uh, and if I, I, I was able to use that and accompany it with... Um, some contemporary commissions, some contemporary photographs and uh, a short film. Um, we had a little bit of money from uh, Fife Council uh, who were very supportive of the project and the owners of the uh, shopping centre who let us have a unit for free. And so essentially we opened up in a, in a, in a, uh, a little retail unit um, and the local uh, residents were able to um, come in and out uh, and it was a very different situation from other exhibitions I've curated in the past, which have been in traditional museum and gallery settings. I was quite keen not to do that with this one, um, because the the gallery space in, in Glenrothes is very nice. It's purpose-built. It's got lighting and white walls and clean floors and everything. Um, but it... Uh, immediately sets up barriers. There's thresholds across, there's access issues, and there's sort of... Um, non-art public, if I can use that term, uh, that I wanted to uh, speak with and to show this uh, work to and to hear their opinions, um, would be, I felt, disinclined to um, engage with the traditional gallery space. So we're there, we're next door to Greg's and the phone shop and Poundland and whatever else is in the shopping mall, and um, for a couple of weeks people just came and went and they could look through the window and they would see uh, older photographs but also press cuttings and um, it was a great way of drawing people in to uh, to look at the art to look at um, records of places that they live places that they knew um, and uh, there was no obligation for them to talk but there was um, an immediate willingness on behalf of most people to chat about things to look at maps we had there to talk about how works might have moved or, or been lost or um, things they used to do around them um, and I was there was a kind of a tipping point where I was hesitating and thinking well is this art history or is this anthropology because there's there's a there's several stories here that can be told um, but I felt that I, I, I'd, I'd settle on art history because um, I could bring in the kind of ethnographic elements and the anthropological elements um, in a way to to really, uh, I suppose, expand the notion of art history. I didn't want this to be um, uh, uh, an entirely historical project. I wanted to find... Uh, what excited me was the way that it was a living history. Um, uh, there were a lot of oral histories to be gathered from the communities, from the residents, and from the artists that hadn't really been fully explored or recorded or, or brought together elsewhere. Um, so I felt there was there was a job to do, and, and I, I hope that I'm the person to do it. That's amazing. And what do you want to say a bit about the stage you're at in the research as well? You mentioned earlier that you're sort of early days. Yeah, I mean it's a, part, it's a part-time PhD because obviously I, I have um, my, my regular work, um, and uh, so I'm in my second year, uh, and it's it's I suppose um, I feel I've I've covered all the interviews, most of the interviews that I wanted to do. Um, I now, uh, I'm extremely fortunate to have a, a, had a very good working relationship with uh, David Harding, the main town artist uh, in Glenrothes, and he has, um, I think he felt that uh, his confidence in, in me grew after he came to see the exhibition and saw that I I had an understanding of what he'd been trying to do and he very generously donated his archive pertaining to Glenrothes to my university library so mm -hmm. I've been kind of cataloguing that um, which has uh, not just great uh, photographs but uh, documents, uh, correspondence um, uh, a lot of printed matter surrounding um, not just Glenrothes but the, the sort of uh, sculptural and community art events that were happening at that time so I've been sifting through these things and seeing what's what's relevant and, and it's helped me to um, I suppose begin to explore uh, an expanded network 
um, Glenn Roth is very quickly appeared to, um, I realised that it was uh, yes it's a new town mm. but it's not new anymore none of these towns are they, they were the exhibition that I had there was sort of part of the celebrations for the uh, the 70th birthday um, and uh, there was that which felt like a good time to to reflect on things um, but also to realise that the town has changed over time uh, and it it, 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 it was always changing. There was a period at the beginning of um, very condensed activity during the construction work. Um, but there's a much longer story to tell um, because the artworks have been added to. Um, some of them have gone. Some of them have been moved or, or even painted. Um, and this wasn't happening in isolation. He was aware of um, what had come before. So... I've been looking at people like uh, Victor Pasmore and Peter Lee, um, Brian Miller, the first down artist in Scotland in Cumbernauld. Um, and uh, when was that? I, he began in Cumbernauld in, I think, 62. Or was it 64? Um, he, uh, he has a slightly different footing from, from Harding. Um, in a sense, he, he helped to advise on... David Harding's position when the Glenrothes Corporation were thinking about this um, and I think uh, also uh, David Harding looked at what Brian Miller's position was and um, decided that there were certain things that he was less keen to do um, I think the advertisement that was placed for the Glenrothes uh, post was for um, an artist with design elements and also graphic design um, and he quickly saw that um, uh, although um, Brian Miller had a tremendous facility for graphic design it was also something of a limitation uh, I think Harding felt that um, uh, Miller had compromised his position slightly in that when you're doing graphic design for development corporation essentially it's a kind of propaganda and so you're having to toe the line a little bit more and Harding was anxious to avoid putting himself in that position um, and in a way I think his interests lay elsewhere uh, although at the beginning he was sort of more strictly sculpture um, he was living in the town the position came with a salary and uh, a council house um, and I think he being there with a young family um, finding his way in the complexities of the uh, development corporation hierarchy and the, the new uh, social environment because it was of course still a relatively new community um, he, he realised that it was uh, a large part of the work was about relationships social relationships um, and that the uh, community art aspect was actually um, almost as important as the sculptural aspects. He he had experience as a school teacher before he he came to Glenrothes. Um, he'd he'd actually uh, after uh, graduating at Edinburgh College of Art, he he taught in North Uist and South Uist in the Hebrides, so quite a uh, an extreme environment, um, and uh, had then spent uh, nearly four years in Nigeria at a teacher training college in the bush. And I think both of these experiences fed into his approach to working with people at Glenrothes. Um, he he's an, has a natural facility, but I think it, it took a few years perhaps for him, his confidence to grow and to... Um, formulate uh, a, a methodology um, I, I think Herbert Reed has been, had been his bible in, in, in Nigeria um, education through art um, and he uh, without wanting to abandon my neutral position as uh, investigator he, he has um, an amazing uh, facility for, for teaching, I mean it's not for no, no reason that um, there were so many great graduates from the environmental art course that he taught at at Glasgow School of Art, um, but he wears it very lightly, and he he allows one to um, uh, discover things for oneself, but 
he it, it's sort of light touch he'll make suggestions and one goes away or at least I do and do some research and uh, he suddenly uh, there's a whole new vista of research I say perhaps it's it's uh, adding more more to my workload um, but at the same time it's it's an incredibly positive thing because that was um, how I I suppose I've, I've first looked again at um, cultural democracy. Mm. Um, I mean, on that note, maybe that is some, you know, to, to, to follow on from that, what what was, yeah, what, first, what was the first question? What was your, um, going back to Harding's um, thinking, do you think, or do you know from him if cultural democracy was something that informed him? Was it a term that, that he was using, was aware of? Um or some of the principles and ideas behind it? What's your take on that? Definitely the principles and ideas. I think the terminology perhaps came along towards the end of his time in Glenrothes. He was there for say for 10 years, you know, 68 to 78, so it's, it's a good stretch. Um, and uh, he, I think he'd always been a, 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 a reader. Um, he, he loves uh, poetry, but he's also read, was reading a lot of... Um, social and political texts so um, I'm afraid it's probably the usual suspects as far as this podcast is concerned mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know Ivan Illich um, Paolo Freya um, Augusto Bowles uh, theatre work um, Raymond Williams um, I, I should think those are probably the, the four mm-hmm. and the, the, the tools for conviviality is at the heart of the matter um, I think uh Harding was um, from a, you know, from the left, but again, it wasn't necessarily um, uh, overtly political. And I think he realised that he couldn't that that would work against him in his position as a town artist. He had to um, uh, be able to work with people from all different backgrounds, all political persuasions. So he wasn't going to. Um, uh, go out of his way to aggravate people um, but at the same time he he had a tremendous uh, social conscience and um, felt that uh, I think the new towns were a uh, like a sort of a, a microscope on the British post-war social situation the, I hesitate to use the word extreme but they they do put a particular focus on things. Um, perhaps they are a little unlike uh, con- conventional older towns and cities, um, but at the same time, they, because of the speed with which they came together um, and the, the, the influx of people, you can sort of look at the situation um, in a more clearly analytical fashion. There's, there are histories there, and there's some very interesting ones and the histories that people bring with them um, but at the same time it's perhaps slightly clearer to see the uh, administrative methodology that's behind this thing um, you can see yes it's it's part of the post-war consensus yes they're really part of the welfare state in some ways um, and the British um, socialist project but at the same time, uh, they all have um, an individual quality, as do the town artists themselves. Uh, mm. There's no new, two new towns that are the same. Um, I, I've been looking, I suppose, most obviously most closely at Glenrothes, but also the other four Scottish new towns, um, East Kilbride, which was the first, Cumbernauld, uh, Livingstone and Irvine. Um, and there's, a, there's an obvious... Um, network of connections there and then looking again at other um, post-war urban developments in Scotland so particularly Craig Miller in Edinburgh and the housing schemes outside of Glasgow and they do something slightly different and then step away again looking at the national level and relations with English new towns um, which always tend to uh, steal the show in the in the uh, architectural press and uh, history, um, perhaps because they were first, perhaps because there's they're 
closer to the um, London County Council projects and Festival of Britain, from which much m many of the ideas um, flowed. Um, and then again, at thinking about the uh, position within Europe and internationally, because there are uh, a number of very interesting connections, or at least I find them interesting. Um, and uh, so there's a there are global Newtown networks, and it's I wanted to position Glenroth is on that sort of stage um, because it's it's uh, there is one level the local level which is extremely interesting but it has its place I think on a larger scale mm. and did sorry cl clarifying question mm. did the did all the Scottish new towns have town artists all of them except for Irvine Irvine was the last one uh, last of the new towns um, and they decided that they would have uh, an artist in residence scheme instead so they had a series of and what was the difference that was a series of artists coming in yeah rather than one artist living in the town mm. paid for by the yeah um well i i i guess it's tied in with um the attitudes of the development corporations and in a sense you are were sort of reliant on a benign or beneficent dictatorship um they they very different in structure to um, uh, a local council um, in that they were really there was a direct, direct line to central government uh, the New Towns Act 1948 um, set this, this up uh, so the development each new town had a development corporation which is I guess a kind of quango um, and their uh, directors um, had more or less complete control um, uh, and so when you have a, a, an artist brought into the story, um, which was part of their, uh, how would I say, um, they wanted to humanise the environments, I think. Uh, there's a little bit of this, um, well, there was the Lord Wreath, the Wreath Committee that formulated the, the New Towns Act and... Uh, that slightly uh, patrician thinking uh, combined with um, the Town and Country Planning Association, uh, the kind of Ebenezer Howard um, thinking around garden cities mm. and um, Patrick Geddes, of course, the uh, Scottish planner. Um, let's say there were aspirations towards uh, a, a graceful, pleasant environment. Now, I mean, was that shared? Was that kind of vision shared across all the, the new towns, even though they had these separate corporation development corporations? Yeah, the, I mean, the the architects and planners moved between the towns, um, so ideas flowed around, and uh, the town artists, or certainly the early ones, you know, and thinking particularly about um, Victor Pasmore, um, he was recognised as an artist in the in the fine art press um, and his work in Peter Lee was um, to begin with at least more to do with um, working with the planners on the design of certain areas and the, the aesthetic approach to housing colour schemes, uh, plantings, that sort of thing. He was there for quite a, a long period, and the um, the high point for him, I suppose, was is the Apollo Pavilion, the Sunny Blunt's uh, Pavilion, and um, that is an example, I guess, of sculpture as architecture, or architecture as sculpture. Mm. Um, of course, it had murals on it to begin with. Those um, didn't fare so well, but they there'd been a renovation project there um, and I, I don't want to get too drawn into that story because I think again that's probably another podcast um, <laughs> another PhD yeah, yes 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 um, but there, there were that was widely covered in the architectural engine and engineering press and ideas uh, connected with town artists and an artistic approach I think flowed through those sort of journals 
um, perhaps slightly more than um, the fine art journals. I mean, Studio International covers things. Um, uh, they cover, you know, Anthony Holloway and um, William Mitchell's work in London. And they, after the Festival of Britain, they, they were very influential on um, thinking to do with concrete sculpture and concrete murals. Um, and David Harding's work in Glen Roth is, uh, doesn't come directly out of that, but um, he, he has his own uh, approach, which I think I has, definitely has a much more um, community-oriented uh, feel. It, not to say that Whit Mitchell's work isn't appreciated by the communities in which it it, it resides um, but it's interesting to look at the uh, reception of his work um, or somebody like the Henry Moore works that were placed in housing estates um, and then think about what happened in the Scottish New Towns it's a different kind of scale physically and um, financially mm. um, the new towns in Scotland were on very tight budgets, and so the the architects, apart from one or two show what we might call a sort of showpiece building, where you've got the mega structure, shopping mall in Cumbernauld, and some nice modernist churches, the the nuts and bolts, the 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 housing stock, um, is generally very repetitive. They were having to um, use uh, you know, sort of mass production uh, methods um, and there wasn't a lot of room for creativity I felt I feel that the architects were in many ways becoming more managerial more administrative um, uh, problem solvers rather than visually creative people and so I, I think the chief designer planners thought well we could get an artist in relatively cheaply to re-inject uh, and re uh, creativity and in reinvigorate things. Um, and so the, cent one, the central point was how can the artist work with planners and architects? Um, and I have to say, I, I suspect that there was some resistance at points. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the artists had to find perhaps the right moment or the right person um, there were certain relationships, certain architects that they worked with um, over periods, depending on which zones in the towns were being built. But the the central point is that they had, they had to be the right place at the right time. If you missed the early planning stages, any arts that you wanted to um, fit into the scheme would be uh, an addition. Um, so not necessarily just decoration, but it wouldn't have the same sense of integration mm -hmm. and that's what David Harding felt was really essential and that's what um, becomes feeds into his conception of environmental arts it's not something that's just uh, added on it's not a, a sculpture freestanding sitting in front of a building it's something that's either fully integrated into uh, a building or into uh, a, a planning system or with the the residents so um, there are very early examples of his work where he's working with schools and making uh, little terracotta tiles each child makes a tile, decorates it um, and they take them out of the school and they put them on a wall in the neighbourhood so the kids can see their uh, visual mark making in their own environment every day they grow up with mm. it they m many people stay in the town and so they can show their children what they did when they were at school and now they show their grandchildren what they made mm. and and places that they played and it immediately becomes a, a, a rich uh, intergenerational project i guess as well that's interesting thinking about the um, in, a, in a cynical way, uh, the way in which um, artists have been employed and used in the process of gentrification, for example, nowadays. So that's much more common. 
and more um uh what's the word like you know more um upfront i suppose that this process of engaging artists to do the creative consultation bit while basically the architects and the planners carry on uh, as normal and there's been a lot of criticism of that over the years that approach and I think with cultural the bringing cultural democracy question into all of that is not so much how does an artist in that situation almost like despite the conditions they're working in develop a cultural democracy kind of way of working by engaging some participants in a process it's more about the structure how could the structures be become a demo, cultural democracy way of working so in the town artist and, and new town development was there ever scope or understanding at that level of cultural democracy well it obviously wasn't necessarily termed cultural democracy but were, were, could the principles and ideas of a get I guess a kind of re- rethinking who owns participates produces distributes and engages in the development of a town uh, that is mm. down it sounds like from the new town development process it was still quite hierarchical and we're the architects we're the planners we know even though we've got you know, we've got all these restraints. Essentially, what we know what you need and we're going to deliver it for you. We might have a little bit of creative output and you can do some tile making with kids in the, in the meantime, but to make them feel a bit more engaged. But, but essentially, we're going to decide the site, the size, the scale, the, the outlet, the layout. And yeah, I don't know. Was there, I know there was a kind of community architecture movement developing and evolving at the same time as sort of community arts movements in the 70s but maybe uh, and whether there was yeah with that influencing these new towns i personally haven't seen any evidence of community architecture in my research so far um uh, as far as getting communities involved you, you i think you're right in saying that the 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 architects um and planners uh, did think that they knew best um uh i think they they did le- learn as they went along. You can look at different stages in the new town developments, and you'll see uh, an uh, evolution in the architecture. So you're starting with kind of maybe point block sort of uh, flats, um, and uh, quite a, a more an older style of, of housing, and to, in the the centres or in clusters, and then you'll have other areas that develop later on, which are perhaps a little bit more spacious. Um, there were obviously sort of central government uh, guidelines on on uh, the dimensions of, of houses and the provision of facilities in neighbourhoods. So you can look at them on a on a plan, and you can clearly see well, you know, for every 500 houses, there had to be a primary school, and for every you know x number of houses, there had to be uh, uh, x number of primary schools, there had to be a secondary school, and that's also connected with provision of shops and uh, recreational facilities. Um, and the the town artists. Um, sort of helped they helped the architects with that obligatory provision but at the same time they recognized that these were the opportunities where they could um they could actually work and do something that was perhaps a little freer so in particular i'm thinking of um uh, play areas for children um they the the uh, the government, the administrative um, uh, instructions suggest that you had to have toddler play areas and then you'd have areas for older children. Um, and because of these are obviously, um, uh, there are a lot of children in these towns. Uh, you know, it's not for nothing that Harlow was called Pram Town. Um, and uh, they, uh, the play sculptures that the artists could make were um, a a creative outlet for them Um, and they were also an example of uh, them 
being cr creative, I guess, with the materials, because although, yes, they had a salary and they had a workshop and studio facilities, um, they didn't really have materials budgets. So they uh, had to work with bricks and concrete and timber, which were what was around them, what was available to uh, the construction teams, um, and they would be using contingency budgets from engineering contracts uh, to you know, get a, a portion of, of bricks or concrete and maybe some labour time so that um, they could, uh, once, when the, while the houses are being um, constructed with concrete in situ, they could divert little concrete for a couple of days um, and they'd create uh, you know, polystyrene moulds uh, in their studio, bring them to site, call the, the concrete truck over and, and pour and create something uh, in a relatively swift and uh, economical way. And of course that pleased the, uh, the management um, who have, uh, in the few um, quotations I've found, they, they have a very uh, interesting, um, I guess it's a slightly antiquated patrician management speak, but I, I can't help hearing the... Uh, a, a rather, um, should we say, colonialist attitude to uh, their way of speaking or thinking about not just their workers but the the, the general uh, residents. Um, and I, I, it may be the cynic in me, but I suspect that this is uh, connected to uh, a slightly. Um, what you might call a kind of an internal internalized colonialism with the new towns after the war the the external colonies were contracting um and so you have uh managers who were brigadiers in the army perhaps in the second world war brigadier paddy doyle in in glenrothes um and a few others like that who i they may bring that sort of um military or, organization with them but there's there's another set of um values i think that they bring with them uh and i i think that that combines with um more politicized issues in the uh housing schemes around glasgow places like easter house where they had uh really you know atrocious problems with under provision of infrastructure um and yes there was a there were issues with with uh, glasgow most of the new towns were built as what they call overspill um to uh rehouse people in uh decent modern environments um uh partly because of bomb damage in the war, partly to do with slum clearance, partly to do with changes in industry. Um, but that history has to feed into um, the, the story of the new towns. Um, and the, the art uh, is a way of trying to uh, ameliorate that, I think, to provide um, some sort of visual culture that is uh, for the people that live there, and um, people like Harding are keen to engage them. It, it, I think he felt that so. so I think he felt this. Yeah. Well, I think he felt that so much was forced upon them. And yes, they're being given these wonderful new houses. And yes, they should be grateful for for that and grateful for jobs. But at the same time, he recognised that there's a number of um, rather unsettling control issues here. Um, and without wanting to overcomplexify things, I think it's interesting to look at somebody like Michel Foucault's writings about um, planning and health and uh, observation um, in the Newtown context, um, which is uh, something that I, I need to explore a little further, but I, I think it provides some interesting food for thought. Absolutely, and I think like the it, it feels so res resonates so much with current concerns artists um, have in the way they work with particular environments and people and commissions and 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 context which are dubious in terms of their 
um, where the money's from potentially and, and how uh, the bigger picture of development, I guess, and then yeah. your own kind of political and ethical position in relation to all of that. And um, the, yeah, I guess that's sort of also for the town artists, how they negotiated that, those different agendas and positions that they might have been coming up against, because they're the ones, you know, talking to the residents and, you know, the children and the people who are using and living in these situations. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of hearing and feeling that. And as residents themselves, they were also experiencing it, I guess. So it's, it's uh, I think, yeah, to draw out and to kind of bring that complexity forward is would be is is such important work because i think we you know artists working now would could learn so much from that and you know that they're not confronting these issues for the first time people have been dealing with and exploring and trying to figure out how to to deal with this this mess um for decades and yeah drawing on david's uh experiences and other artists experiences at that time is so valuable i think which is why this work is really important um, do you do you want to maybe? I'm just thinking about sort of finishing off with any um, particular things you you've learnt so far. Obviously, it's early days, and we were talking about the kind of um, the, the fluid nature of this term, cultural democracy, and slippery concept that it is, which is which is all fine. Um, but is there you know are there things that you're learning about um, about cultural democracy through this research that you want to share with us at this moment in your research um i suppose uh i i began by thinking uh about uh, comparative works comparative projects and trying to position harding and the town artists within what else was was going on at that time or and the subsequent influence um i was thinking about uh, John Latham and Barbara Stavini's artist placement group um, and uh, I have had inter- very interesting conversations with David about his relationship with them and the fact that they in a sense arrived at an almost identical position um, but through very different routes and their reception and legacy has been uh it's interesting to look, to look at the weigh them up against one another. I don't know if it's um, I'd, I'd want to do a direct comparison, but um, and they're obviously very different artists, so that would be slightly unfair. But um, I feel that there's uh, a sort of social drive with Harding's work, and more of a analytic intellectual drive with somebody like Latham. Harding took John Latham's uh, dictum, the context is half the work, and kind of ran with it and used that um, with his his teaching that he subsequently moved into. Um, and uh, I think that kind of crystallised the ideas that he already had in his mind about uh, artworks not being in isolation. It wasn't an exercise in artistic ego. This was artist as artisan working with other people um, working with a team and working with an audience, working with the people that were uh, living with the art um, and that was a long term project You know, as I said he was in Glenrothes for 10 years and he was making art with mostly with concrete or bricks which are very enduring materials and APG was a, a different funding, different thinking um, was short-term projects. Uh, I think they were influential in the growth of um, artist residencies, um, and I think that they perhaps were uh, more involved in the tussles between community art and socially engaged art and funders, the Arts Council. Um, you're obviously familiar with, with, with that story. Um, but I'm not quite sure yet how one... Uh, weighs up the success of these projects um, and the acceptance of them. I sense that Latham and Stavini are... It took a while, but I think they've definitely been embraced by the the art world, um, recognised perhaps 
more through the legacy, through the artists that have come since then that refer back to APG. Um, uh, and Harding and that earlier um, community art is um, a little trickier for the conventional art world, world to negotiate. Um, and I'm keen to... Well, I, I, actually, I've learned quite a lot already through previous podcasts that you've done. Um, but there is, um, as you mentioned, a, a sort of an ongoing um, struggle for uh, contemporary um, artists working with communities or socially engaged artists to um, find uh, an entirely acceptable methodology um, as as well as continuing problems finding funding um, uh, which perhaps will never go away um, and the desire or need, need for validation from, from the art world um, and from from funders and I'm interested in these kind of questions Absolutely. and I think these tensions are, are just it, we've got to hold them haven't we and it's that's the, that's where all the energy and often goes is to um, explore contradictions in the ways we're working so like the I, I, I think for what seems so unusual nowadays is for a council or a development corporation or some some somebody like that a group um an organization to put an artist on a salary a lot on a par with a planner and a or a um or another sort of service provision or whatever so the the idea of, of artists being considered co-workers even though that was sounds like it was fraught with problems as well <laughs> in the main new town model um that is I think is so rare and I know APG you know yes you know they've been so influential and, and important in terms of the, that art history of um uh, of the development of the artist residency and etc yeah. um but it's still uh, yeah there are so few I mean there are a few examples of where artists are employed so now the model is still artists predominantly self-employed yes <clears throat> they're not on salary they're not waged it's not considered a form of wage labor in that way and um, and I'm you know that's a question as to why is that why has that model not been adopted and taken forward uh, seriously mm. by councils and um, and others involved in processes of urban development and change um, and the, mod, the more obvious model now is is that you outsource your creativity your consultation whatever to um, either a sing, an individual or group of, of freelance artists um or creatives or designers or whatever we want to call you want to call themselves um so i think the contractual relationship and obligations mm. is really yeah is really fascinating and that's where all those questions around the economies of of what we're talking about coming coming yeah. to light um the other question i know we haven't we've haven't got much time now but the um the other question i had which is opening a can of worms is that gender question around oh, yes which I know I haven't really got time to go to, but maybe that's another podcast. But it was it just it's interesting that the in one of the uh, papers that you sent us, um, which we can put a link to on the website, uh, it one of the schemes that was set up were the scholarships to work with David Harding. Mm. Um, it, looked, it looked from the list that you that in that article that they were all men, um, and I wondered as well if there were if among um, all of the town artists that were um, uh, employed in the new towns, were they? Were there any women employed? Um, there were. You, you sort of have to dig, dig a little bit. Um, uh, I mean, the, the most obvious one is obviously uh, Liz Lay in Milton Keynes, uh, she of the Concrete Cows. Um, and she suffered i think because she was on a very different footing from david harding and the 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 town artists in scotland in that uh her was her funding was not coming from the development corporation it was coming from the arts council and was only almost like a sort of two-year residency that was then uh, renewed i think for a little bit um and the, the the development corporation provided um studios and space and accommodation 
but they didn't have any relationship between her and the architects and planning team. So she was kind of kept at arm's length, um, and they had a rather romantic idea of, uh, out, outmoded idea of what an artist should be, and put her in this sort of Georgian farmhouse on the edge of the town. And so she really found it very difficult, I think, to make a uh, great deal of impact and I, I very much hope that she savours the irony that the cows are perhaps one of the best known um, uh, cultural highlights of Milton Keynes uh, and rightly so. Um, in Scotland uh, there is an extremely important character uh, Liz Kemp um, who was only briefly involved in Glenrothes um, but she was another Edinburgh College of Art graduate um, came out of that art school system rather disgruntled um, and she spent her first year working in Craig Miller uh, the, yeah. the community arts there um, which I think flipped her world around um, and set her on a, an amazing uh, course, a career course um, so via Glenrothes she then ended up in, in Dundee and set up the Black Nests Environmental Arts Project there with John Gray, another Glenrothes alumni um, and that was a different phase of community arts and cultural democracy that was to do with uh, urban regeneration which is uh, the story of the 1980s I guess rather than the 60s and 70s which are the town artists um, but I think that her periods in Craig Miller and Glenrothes um, undoubtedly informed her practice as with all of the assistants um, they've all, they all went on to have uh, careers in public arts in one way or another um, something education some as community artists um, but carrying that uh, you know experience or the germ of an idea that Harding had imparted to them um, was very important and I think that it's important in in developing uh, a view of the town artists as an expansive network that connects with other community arts movements. Um, I guess finally as well there was also um, an American visiting artist, Beth Shader, who spent some time in Glenrothes as a, a sort of on a placement, but also works in, in Edinburgh and uh, was I think amongst the first artists to work in the special unit at Barlini Prison alongside um, you know, convicted murderer Jimmy Boyle and the, the special unit um, again, fascinating story perhaps for another day, um, but in, in a high-security unit where artists were for the first time introduced to uh, creative facilities, um, and she was a key part of that, and a connection with um, the Chicago muralists, or at least the second wave of Chicago muralists, um, which are again another uh, fascinating um, political and social story. Mm. Wow. Andrew, thank you so much. I think we probably should leave it there because we've been um, going for some time, yes. but that was really, I found, really, really helpful and, and uh, useful. And I wish you luck with the next stage of the research. And we'll maybe we could have another check-in, another episode. Um, yes, that would be great. Further down the line. And, and certainly, yeah, we'll put links on the website to the, to the research you've done so far and, and keep that conversation going. Great. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you for having me. <laughs>